0: Okay, nice. Hey, whoa, hey, yeah. As Ben said, hey, um, if you're new, welcome. Thanks for coming tonight. We're really glad that you're here. I know there's maybe a couple guests. Um, will you guys just like, can you give a hand for our worship band? Cause that was great, and we're off to a new start. And but here's the thing: one, it's pretty cool to have Rob leading. But also, like, we just have a lot more student involvement than we had than we've had in the past, and that's great to see. And I know that's probably our fault, not your fault, if you're a musician out there, but um, anyway, good job, worship band. That was really a good time of worship. Hey, if you, uh, if you weren't here last week, we're in uh, week two of On the Move, which is a series we'll be in for the first um, number of weeks here in Oasis. Um, each week, what we're doing, we said this last week, but each week we're taking one part of Oasis's vision statement, and last week, you know, some of you were like, what the heck's a vision statement? Well, you know what it is. Um, we kind of, well, we said what it is, but what we said was we're not just here every week just to hang out. We're here to um, see lives changed. We're here to make an impact on, I would say, the youth culture of our city. Um, we're here to proclaim the name of Christ, and so here's that statement. It's going to be up on the screen. I said this last week, that this is why Oasis exists. Oasis exists to build a great community for all high school students, not just Ralston, Not just Westside, not just Millard and OPS, and uh, shout out for, um, I was going to say, Omaha Christian Academy, that's like Addy, two of you, three of you, Trainer Iowa, we've got a whole Trainer crowd, all high school students, through a movement of God, that's only ever going to happen, through a movement of God that brings personal conversion, we'll hit that up next week, identity transformation, what does that mean, and uh, cultural renewal, and, and bringing all those things to Omaha students and through them to the world. So last week, if you weren't here, we talked briefly about um, community, how difficult it is to be a youth group of this size representing um, 19 or 20 different high schools. And so you come here and have your own friend groups, but it's kind of hard to be united as a group around one thing. Um, but that's where we were last week. Tonight we're going to talk specifically about um, what do we need to be unified around, what's like our common interest? What do we need to be unified around? And so we're going to look at what we mean by the phrase, a movement of God. When we say we want to build a great community for all high school students through a movement of God, what does that mean? What is God really all about when it comes to us and his relationship with us? What do we mean by that? But so I want to start with this question. What's the, what's the best news you could ever hear? For you as a high school student, what's the best news you could ever hear? Uh, don't all talk at once. What was this? Full ride of, for college. Full ride for college, Taylor. Pass my classes. This is good. Did I hear a marriage? A shout out for marriage? Maybe? Right there. No school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually, all right, get quiet, get quiet. That's kind of unexpected. Um, Initially, you're like, the best news ever, Brad? Like, how about I win the lottery? That would change my life forever, win the lottery, which would take care of paying for college. Some of you would say, if I could speed up time, the best news ever would be that I could graduate like tomorrow from high school or graduate from college, be done with school. You're like, I'm sick of school. For some of you, listen, listen, listen. For some of you, it's like, my mom and dad buy me a brand new car. Oh, that would be the best news ever. I could ever hear. Who, uh, show of hands, who got your driver's license this last summer? Right there, two. All right, good. Three of you. Three. Awesome. All right, get quiet. Get your neighbor quiet. Um, now, I mean, I thought maybe I'd hear some of those things. Um, if you're honest, those maybe aren't like the best possible things you could you could ever hear about or you could ever get. But I mean, in high school right now, it's it's kind of hard, it's funny that the first things shouted out were um, getting, through, getting through, passing all my classes, getting through college without money. It's more like kind of like, here and now, I'm stuck in high school, and uh, I'm, I'd love for you to see, I hope you know it's hard when you're in the middle of high school, but you guys, this, these four years will go really fast. Seniors in here right now, you can attest to the fact that you're a senior, and wow, what happened to high school? Some of you, you're done at semester. Um... But here's the thing. If you're thinking maybe more long-term, you might say something like this. Um, the best news I could possibly hear is somebody saying to me, I love you. I love you with, with my whole heart. The best thing you could possibly hear is, will you marry me, which I heard down here. Um, for you ladies, I mean, like, seriously, what's the best news you could possibly hear? Maybe it's somebody, maybe you have a fear of rejection. And so it's, it's like hearing to have and to hold till death do us part. Oh, man. Ladies, you're like, and here's the thing, guys, you wouldn't get sappy and romantic like that, but most of you guys in here, you would love to have a really awesome wife someday, and so you hope to meet some great girl. Maybe that's it. That's maybe a little more down the road. Um, Here's the thing. These questions like this, I think they kind of get at, what are our values? What are the things in life that we value the most? And so sometimes all it is is I don't like school. I want to get out of school. I want, to, I want to win the lottery so I have lots of money. But perhaps here's an even better question when it comes to revealing our values. Here's the better question. What's your greatest fear? What is your, I mean seriously for a second, think about that. What is your greatest fear? Now I'm guessing there's probably some of you that are be, will be quick to say like, speaking in public, I can't do that. It's so scary. Or like, Snakes or spiders, clowns—that's classic. But honestly, that's your greatest fear. Like, step on the spider. Get over it. Um, here's the thing: I'm—I'm I'm fairly confident. I mean, seriously, think about that in your mind right now. Don't tell your neighbor. But what's your greatest fear ever? Getting old, getting wrinkly, gaining weight. For a lot of you, it would be, um, it would be like some kind of rejection. Now, listen, 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 maybe it's like death by drowning, death by fire, but here's the thing, whoa, 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 yeah, buried alive, that would be traumatic, but all those things, listen, 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 all those things, you're like, death by drowning, yeah, but that lasts all of like two seconds and you're dead, um buried alive, that's, that's worse and a little more morbid, morbid. Hey, on a more serious note, I'd almost guarantee you, if people were really seriously honest about that question, I bet you pull most people in our world over 90%, I bet would say, um, the death of a loved one. Maybe it's fearing death yourself, but somewhere along the lines, it's probably something related to death. Now, I know numerous students of you in here already that have lost somebody very, very close to you. You've already lost a parent, a sibling. You've recently lost a grandma or a grandpa that you were very, very close to. And that's hard to think about. And in fact, I don't mean to like make the mood all somber, but it's like death is crazy, isn't it? And that kind of a, wow. For some of you, um, maybe a parent right now has cancer and nobody knows about it. And you're like, Ah, oh, I hate cancer. What's going to happen? Am I going to have a dad next year? Um, I imagine it's something related to death. And here's why death is so scary, right? Is because, number one, it's 100% certain, right? The mortality rate is 100%. We don't like to think about it in high school, but someday we're all going to die. Again, I know, like, scary thought, morbid thought. But secondly, we have no guarantees about what's going to happen after death. Now, I believe we do because... I know what the Bible says, and a lot of you in here can relate, but for most people in our world, they know it's 100% certain, and they would say, we have no guarantees about what happens after death. Sure, little boy over here writes a best-selling book about his little time in heaven or hell, and maybe that's true, but does anybody know for sure? Because has anybody ever really been there? And so we like to ignore it, don't we? We don't like to talk about it. We know it's a reality. We know it's going to happen someday. It could happen at any point, but we don't like to talk about it. I know many of you remember hearing about this, but um, this weekend marks a one-year anniversary of the point when our, our lead pastor, Pastor Steve, who started this church, lost his son very unexpectedly at age like 35, I think it was, um, a year ago. I remember hearing, um, my wife heard about it first. I was wrecked. Like, what? 35 years old, and it my goodness, it's been a difficult year for Stephen Becky. Can you imagine? And I, I know, like, I can't imagine losing my own children, but I would imagine every year that you have your children with you, the harder it would be to cope with losing them. So can you imagine having a son get to the age 35, and you're like buddies, and you lose a son or a daughter? So if our greatest fear imaginable is death, wouldn't the best news ever we could possibly hear be life? Just the fact that we have life, forget snakes. We have breath in our lungs. Praise the Lord, we're not dying. And what happens after death? So here's what the Bible has to say on this. I want you to check this out. Grab your Bible if you have it. Open up your apps if that's your method. But open up to the Book of Isaiah. That's where we're going to be in primarily in this series. And turn to Isaiah chapter. Thir- um, I'm sorry, 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah is almost halfway through um, your Bible. It's a fairly large book. Isaiah 53. We're going to start here at um, chapter 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6. And just the first half, it says this. It says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now stop there. Pause. Time out. All of us, it says, have gone astray. Each, every one of us, has turned to his own way, this says. Okay, so this, this, is, this is bad news. This is not good news, okay? We don't like to think about this either, but we know that it's true. This is just the bad news. It says all. Did you see the all there? All. It says all. We've all gone astray. Now, some of you say, like, gone astray, what, is, what does that even mean? And is this, like, God's standard? Whose standards is this, anyway? Gone astray? Like, I've done, sure, I've done some bad stuff in my life, but I'm a pretty good person. Nobody's perfect. Does this mean you're supposed to be perfect? Nobody's perfect. So what does this mean for me? Maybe you even, maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you, like, were a Christian when you, maybe you, like, came out on the altar at church because you've been a Christian your whole life. Like, you don't remember a time that you weren't a Christian. And you're, like, gone astray. I'm awesome. Like, I read my Bible every morning. Those dirty sinners over there, they got nothing on me because I'm awesome. I haven't gone astray. Um, we, a lot of times, we say this, like, well, as long as my good outweighs my bad, what is this gone astray stuff? Now, okay, back in May, I don't know how many of you were able to go to this year-end party. We had a year-end party at Mike Hawkins' house. And here's the thing. We watched this movie called Courageous, and this last, this last weekend in this very room, and we had a men's event, and we watched Courageous for this men's event, and there was like 200 men in here. There's a scene, this is my favorite illustration, there's a scene in this movie at one point, the movie's about these police officers, maybe you've seen it, and the officer, this officer, older kind of officer, seasoned officer, is talking to this younger rookie officer, and uh, he's talking to him about knowing God. You know what I'm talking about? And he says this, he basically says, look, buddy, say your, I don't know the exact wordage, but I'm paraphrasing, he says, say your mom is like brutally attacked and she's murdered, and they catch the guy and uh, this guy goes before a judge and basically says, yeah, like, yeah, I killed this lady. All right. But, uh, but you know what, judge? I also give like 50% of my income away to the poor. 50%. Judge, I'm sure, I killed this one lady, but like, look at all these homeless people I've helped. Do you realize I'm a wealthy man? I've given away 50% of my income. Now, if that judge was like, if that judge looked at him and said, okay, huh, you've, got a, you've got a point there. That's a lot of good. And, uh, and one lady, um, okay, you can go free. Now, he, he says to this guy, would that be a good judge or a bad judge? And the other officer kind of, you know, mumbles, a bad judge. Like, duh. Um, but he basically goes, look, God, God's a good and a just judge. And he basically says, at the numerous points in the Bible that say, we're going to all stand before the Lord someday and give an account for what we've done. And if God is a just judge, I mean, we don't even have a. We don't even have some kind of scale. There's even no standard necessarily set in the Bible for what we're supposed to do. What good outweighs our bad? It's not the Ten Commandments. So what happens? And this guy starts to realize: How can you ever know that your good outweighs your bad? Um, God is the giver of life, and so we're all accountable to Him. So what happens? Right? Is that a scary thought? Not only is death scary. You're like, thanks a lot, Brad. Great night at Oasis. I'm also going to die and stand before a holy God and a just God and a good and holy and just judge and give an account for what I've done in my life. Um, Here's the thing. So Isaiah 56.3, look at it again. It's true. It says, we all have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But then this, check this out. This is really awesome news. It says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, iniquity is kind of a fancy word for sin, Missing the mark. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, you're like, wait, 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 what? What? So, so we've all gone astray. Who's this him? Like, what the heck is this talking about? The Lord's laying on somebody else the iniquity of us all? Now, just as a frame of reference, in this section of Isaiah, all kind of through to the chapter 50s, Isaiah refers to this suffering servant. In fact, a lot of these passages are pretty controversial, especially to maybe Jewish people, Um But let me read the context. So back up a little bit. If you still have your Bible open, let's go back to verse 4. And these are going to be on the screen. Here's the whole context talking about this, this person, this suffering servant. It says, surely he took up our infirmities. Infirmities, like a fancy word for weaknesses. Where we're not firm, our weaknesses. He took up our weaknesses and carried our sorrows. And yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. He was run through. That word literally means to go in one side and come out the other side. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before, before her shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So who is this whole passage talking about? Who is the suffering servant? Well, yeah, you guys know. You know who it's talking about. And in fact, and there's still a lot of controversy over this. If you want a very explicit, um, an explicit answer, you actually can go to the New Testament, um, Acts chapter 8, verse uh, 35. You get this story of this dude. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Acts, you guys, this is like 750, almost 800 years after this was written. Isaiah writes this 700 years before Christ ever comes on the scene. And in the book of Acts, after Christ had gone up to heaven... Um, This eunuch, we talked about eunuchs last week. This eunuch was uh, in like the royalty or uh, he was uh, like a servant to the queen or something. He was in Jerusalem. He was coming back in his carriage to Ethiopia. He was from Africa. And Philip, one of these early disciples, this is all recorded in the story. Philip, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, like go up to that wagon or that carriage. And he comes up to this carriage and this dude is reading this passage in Isaiah. You can read this in Acts chapter 8. He's reading this chapter in Isaiah. And Philip gets in the carriage with him. And the guy says, um, who is Isaiah talking about here? Is he talking about himself or somebody else? And in Acts 8.35, Philip says, he basically shared the gospel with him, and he says that this passage is about Jesus. Now, that's all kind of a side note. Here's the thing. I don't know what caused you to come here tonight. I don't know if you're, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've come to a Brookside for 12 years and um, you've been a Christian your whole life. I don't know what you believed when you walked in here tonight. Here's the thing, you need a Savior. And whether you realize that, whether you realize that 10 years ago, you need to still realize it today. Maybe you've never realized it. You need a Savior. If you're here tonight and you've never acknowledged that, and you're like, forget Jesus, I'm fine on my own, there's only bad news for you. There is only bad news. And that's not a great thing to hear, except there's a, there's a solution waiting right in front of you. Um, write this down. Here's what I want you to know tonight. Here's what I want your heart to be melted by tonight. Here's what this passage is telling us. And you've heard me say this before, but it's going to be up on the screens. Write this down. Jesus Christ lived the life that I should be living. He lived the perfect life that I should be living right now. And he died the death that I deserve to die Maybe you don't believe this. The Bible says over and over again that the wages, the penalty for sin is death. Again, God's like, I know you've done a lot of good, but you've also like walked away from me countless times. Said, forget you, God. I'm fine on my own. He lived the life we should be living and died the death that I deserve to die as my substitute in my place. Eternal life is only found through a relationship with him. And you know what? That's an extremely exclusive statement. Maybe you're like, ah, these, you Christians, are, this is so exclusive, but you know what? Anybody else that holds a different view, their view is just as exclusive as this one is. If somebody says, you know what, I believe all religions are fine, that's still an exclusive statement. The, the question is, which one is true? What are you basing your life off of? What do you think the purpose of life is? And I want you to think about and grapple with at least the fact that this book probably holds the answers. I hope you see that. Every other religion, every other major world religion essentially says, try, 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 try. Try to be perfect, try your whole life. Maybe you guilt, maybe you'll get there, and in the end, I hope that your good outweighs your bad. But you have no standard to tell. You will have no way of knowing. You guys, only, only Christianity that I'm aware of offers a substitute savior who took our penalty for us. Only Christianity offers that. That's the difference between Christianity and every other major world religion. And so in verse 5, it says this. Where is it? It says, by his wounds, we are healed. You are healed. It doesn't say by his wounds, you might be healed. By his wounds, if you're lucky someday and if you do a lot of good, you could be healed. It says, by his wounds, you are healed. Which means different than every other religion, you can know. You go to him, it's a done deal. Being a Christian, the gospel is a brand new status, it's a brand new identity. We are healed. So that means that everything that Jesus did, we get the credit for it. He did it, and we get the credit for it. So the death that he died, it's as if we died that death for our own sins. Which is a crazy thought, but that's what this this substitution thing works. Look at this. Look at verse 11 with me. This is kind of the end of the passage. I'm not reading the whole thing, but we we'll get to the end of the passage. It says, after the suffering of his soul, and so with the substitute Savior, Christ suffers, it's given to us. It's as if we ourselves died for our own sins. That suffering goes to us. But then it says this, he, that is Jesus, will see the light of life, which means we get to see the light of life. We get eternal life, and he'll be satisfied. I guarantee you, every one of us in here we're all longing for satisfaction. We want satisfaction so bad we look for it everywhere. That's why we do half the stuff we do. We go to school, but we go to school because eventually we'll get a degree and then we can get a better paying job and if we get a better, better paying job we can have more money. And If we have more money we can look successful and we won't be homeless and we won't be poor. We're looking for satisfaction everywhere. I think this is saying, you want to find true satisfaction? Jesus gives you satisfaction. The light of life. You get that. He He is satisfied. You get that satisfaction, maybe partially now, but fully and completely in a way that you will never, you will will be blown away. You get to heaven someday, you will experience satisfaction like you've never known. I got one more verse, one more verse. Turn to the New Testament, to the book of Peter. So again, this is 700 years before Christ. You get to the book of Peter, I don't know, 750, 800 years. So, Peter is one of the the disciples of Jesus. And so he writes the books, uh, uh, these letters, the epistles of 1 Peter, 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. And I'm getting ready to close. He writes this. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 53, the passage we were just at. He knows this guy. This is 800 years after Isaiah wrote this. And he quotes Isaiah 53, verse 9, and says, He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, that is his father, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that's on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. Again, Isaiah right there. For you were, he says, you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Guys, I, do you know what this means for you tonight? And I know a lot, of, a lot of you in here are maybe Christians, but it's very, very beneficial still for you to hear this. That it means at this very minute tonight, you can know that you have a relationship with the God who created you with the giver of life. You can know that. You can know that you have eternal life with no doubts, with no hesitation. You can have assurance of that. Because that's what the Bible indicates. You don't need to second-guess yourself all the time. Does that mean you'll be perfect? No. Does that mean you'll still struggle with the same sins you used to struggle with? Yeah, probably. But you have a whole new capacity now. If you know that you have Jesus' unconditional acceptance, who cares if that crowd at school doesn't accept you? You're not living for popularity anymore. It's still not easy. You're still got to walk through that. But if, if God's for you, who cares what people think? So back to the question: What's your greatest fear? What's your greatest fear tonight? Do you long for true life, for eternal life? Do you long for satisfaction? Do you keep thinking, oh, they keep saying that Jesus satisfies, but I just haven't experienced it, so I'm going back over here to my favorite little whatever that is. Do you know him? You can run to him tonight. I don't know where you've been over the summer. I don't know what you've thought, what you've done, what you've felt. Whether you're like, I thought I was a Christian, but I don't know anymore. You can know tonight. Have you ever truly given him your life? Have you you ever truly said, Lord, lead me? lead my life. Let's pray. Let's pray, and then Rob's going to come back up. And we're going to sing one final song. Father, um, death is certain. God, it's a scary thing for all of us. God, it's so easy right now when we're 13, 14, 15, 16, when we're 20 years old. God, we're young. We feel like we're invincible. But Jesus, death is certain. God, I thank you that you didn't leave us in our sins. You didn't leave us in our waywardness. God, you gave us a choice, first of all. But God, we rebelled against you, and we, we desperately need a Savior. And so, God, there are people in here tonight who maybe have never had that defining moment or that need to talk to you. And so, Lord, tonight, it can be as simple as this. It can be as simple as you guys going to the Lord and saying, saying God, I know I've messed up. I've walked away from you. God, I love, I love being in control of my life. I do not want you to take the wheel, but God, I know I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of running. God, I know I'm a sinner, and um, Jesus, would you come into my life? Jesus, would you cleanse me? God, I love hearing um, how you took away my sin, and you give me, you give me new life. You make me clean. God, the life um the death that you took, you took on our behalf. You lived the life that we should be living, and you died the death that we deserve to die. Jesus, would you, would you come into my life? God, I know my life won't be perfect. I know I'm still going to struggle at times, but Lord, I need you. I need you right now. I know, God, I might not feel any different, but Jesus, come into my life. Will you save me? God, help me to identify as a Christian. God, help me to know that if I have you, I don't need to strive after everything else. It's okay if I don't look exactly the way I need to. It's okay if I don't get noticed by this person or this person. I don't need to go to the internet to find that stuff anymore. I just don't. God, I have you. I don't need to swear to look cool. I don't need to lie to look cool. I don't need to make up stories so people will accept me. I'm loved by the God of the universe. Who cares what other people think of me? I'm loved by the God of the universe. God, change our hearts tonight. Melt our hearts tonight. God, it's not just about doing more. But God, when we know that you've loved us that much, God, we want, we want to do what you want us to do. So God, will we rejoice in you tonight, God, I pray that we would um, just dwell on these things during this final song. And um, Guys, I pray that you'd run to the Lord tonight. During this time, during life group time. Lord may we, we may we run to you tonight